There's a movie a few years ago called Gravity uh, with Sandra Bullock where, not to spoil the movie, but I'm afraid I might, if you haven't seen it, she's an astronaut, and at the very beginning of the movie, disaster strikes as her and her fellow astronaut is in, are in orbit, and she's basically flung loose, uh, flying through space with no attachment to the space station or anyone else. She's all by herself, just her, there's this scene right at the beginning, she's hurtling into deep, dark space. And the whole movie is her trying to get back to Earth. She can see Earth like we see the moon. You know, this big circle in her field of view, but she just can't get there. There's no connection to the Earth. And this is what's going to spoil the movie. Finally, she does get back to Earth. And uh, this last scene is her just hugging the dirt. She's like just kissing the ground because she's finally grounded again. She's finally back home. Um, I think there's something, there's something to me very moving about that, just the, the feeling of gratitude for being grounded, for being connected. Um, the gravitational pull of the earth keeps us uh, on earth as much as we try to get off of it, as much as we try to shoot the moon and get into orbit, um, both physically and spiritually, emotionally, to create a world separate from the messy, dirty, weed-filled world that we live in. We... Human beings have always tried to build towers of Babel, tried to make a heaven on earth, <clears throat> rejecting the way things are. Um, as sad as it is, there's sin and there's suffering. There's, there's all sorts of weeds mixed in with the good wheat, good seed that God has planted. Um, and coming to reckon with that reality that it's better to live here than some world that doesn't actually exist, some world of our own making, our own fantasy. Reminds me of a, a T.S. Eliot quote, uh, he says, why should men love the church? Why should they love her laws? She tells them of life and death and of all that they would forget. She is tender where they would be hard and hard where they would like to be soft. She tells them of evil and sin and other unpleasant facts. They constantly try to escape from the darkness outside and within by dreaming of systems so perfect that no one will need to be good. But the man that is will shadow the man that pretends to be. In other words, reality always wins. You try to make your family perfect, you try to make the government perfect, you try to make your work situation perfect, you try to make yourself perfect. Reality will always overshadow the fantasy. And that's a good thing. Reality is scary, it's dirty, it's risky, but it's true. And when we're rooted in the truth of who we are, of how the world actually is, of what's going on, what God is about in this grand story, then we can grow. But if we're uprooted, if we try to root ourselves in something other than deep, dark, black earth, the reality of the way things are and the way God's made them, we won't grow. We'll wither. This is what concerns me somewhat about um, this whole argument about truth these days. Like, what, who is to be believed? What, of you, what you're reading is actually true, or is somebody just trying to convince you to promote an agenda? Right? Do we really understand history? Do we read books and listen to arguments? Or do you just read headlines of whatever person has the platform, that's their opinion about the way things are? How do we know what the truth is? How do we root ourselves deeply in the truth of what's going on, who we are, where we're going? One way to do that is to, to just root ourselves in the most fundamental reality there is. 
priest once said to me in seminary, um, a good prayer before you go to bed at night is simply, you are God and I am not. You are God and I am not. That's the most fundamental reality. It's humility. And thank God I'm not God because I'm very petty. I'm very selfish. My concerns are very small. But God is very, very, very big. And so it's good that he's God. It's good that he's in charge. It's a great quote from the Book of Wisdom today. Your might is the source of justice. Your mastery over all things makes you lenient to all. The author of the Book of Wisdom is saying is, God, you're so big that you're nice. There's this old a couple of words that we don't use that much anymore. Magnanimity and pusillanimity. The Latin root literally means big soul and small soul. You ever say some, hear somebody say, that's a small man. It means that they're just petty. They're not worried about the big things. They, they, they just like sabotage what they touch because they're just too small-minded, too small-souled, too small-hearted. But the big-souled person... The big-hearted person is lenient, kind, merciful, compassionate. There's a, quote, uh, a talk I heard from a priest a while back last year. He talked about um, the, the star Sirius. It's part of the, the dog constellation, Canis Majoris. And it's the biggest known star in our galaxy. And it's, the, the size, he said, was seven quadrillion planet Earths could fit inside this star. Seven quadrillion. And that's really, really big. Um, And to give us some perspective of how big that is, he just said, okay, if you counted one to a million, like one second, one, two, three, four, that would take you 12 days to count to a million. If you counted to a billion, that would take you 31 years. If you counted to a trillion, that would take you 31,000 years. To count one, two, three, all the way up to a trillion. To count to one quadrillion. There's seven quadrillion planet Earth sizes in this one star in our galaxy. To count to one quadrillion, it would take you 31 million years to count to a quadrillion. And there's seven of those quadrillions of our whole world inside this one star. And that's just the biggest star in our galaxy. And there's billions and billions of galaxies in the universe. In other words, he's saying God made the stars. God made that star, and it was like no big deal for him to make that star, right? And so, if God is that big, and what we Christians believe is that that God is intensely interested in you and me, in taking care of us, in loving us, in bringing us back to life from the self-willed death that we've fallen into, which is sin, if he's that intent on saving us, what are we worried about? And the great lie is that we've, we've thought ourselves that God is petty like us. He's small like us. And throughout the Old Testament, God is constantly saying through the prophets, I'm not like you. You're thinking like men think, not like God thinks. And we have to constantly say these things to God, holy, 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 which just means you're so different, you're so different, you're so different. You're so big. Because if God is that big, that's what makes him lenient. That's what makes him compassionate. He doesn't need us to earn his love. He simply gives it to us. 
And I think if we root ourselves in that reality, if we hug that earth, that world, the real world, then we'll grow. But if we try to live in the weedless world, if we try to make our lives perfect, if we try to pretend that God is like us and that if I just weeded my heart enough, if I just came to him without any sin whatsoever, without any fault, without any weakness, then I could stand up straight before God and and feel like, yeah, I'm in heaven now. But that's actually hell. The kingdom of heaven is where God is all in all, where we've surrendered completely to his mercy. We've said, look, Lord, I'm weak. I've betrayed you. I've fallen. But thank God you are compassionate. Thank God you love me. Thank God you're so big that you can swallow up all my sin and draw me to yourself. If we live in that reality, then all the other truths that come with it, even if people are lying, even if we we sometimes lie, even if we can't trust ourselves or, or the world around us, we can trust in that reality and we will grow.